Welcome to the Therapist on Fire podcast, where I interview leaders in allied healthcare, entrepreneurs, and those on the path to financial independence. Welcome to the Therapist on Fire podcast. I'm so excited to be here with Tavana Denise. She's a physical therapist, life coach, rebel, and she's truly on a mission to save as many physical therapists as possible from burnout, boredom, and glass ceilings. Thank you so much for being here, Tavana. Thank you, Emma, for having me. Well, you are like this burnout rock star, and I know that you're doing so much to try to help the profession, which I really applaud you, and I think that's amazing. Um, Let's just sort of start from square one, though. How did you get inspired to speak about burnout and and, uh, fight healthcare burnout? Well, I think most of us teach what we need to learn, and so I had a couple of experiences with burnout and reinvented myself. I'm burning out again. And so when I feel like I cracked the code, I'm like, I got to tell everybody about this. And so that's really been my experience with burnout. I experienced it probably the first time around seven years in practice. Then I figured out how to get beyond it and experience it again around 12, 14 years in practice. And so now that I kind of know the secret, I'm going back and, and helping others. And I'm so excited about this work because what I really saw in, I'm, I'm a contractor. And so I work in, in PRN in many hospital systems. And so I get to see a variety of people. And because I've been doing this so long, I've been in acute care for 11 years, been in the same hospitals for quite a while. I got to see people grow up in the profession. And so people that were bright-eyed and bushy-tailed when they first came in 10 and, you know, 8, 10, 11 years later, they are literally walking zombies and unhappy and grabbing me in the, the break room or the nourishment room. And some of them literally crying because they are stressed out and they don't like their jobs anymore. And they still love being a PT and are trying to figure out what the heck should I do? What should I do? And so what ended up happening at one of these facilities was I'm watching this transpire, right? And I'm doing my thing and I bounce around and I do what I need to, to keep myself up. And I'm seeing my my colleagues, people that I truly care about, uh, experience in this. And I'm also now seeing the, the rehab director keep hammering us about productivity and what's happening and what's happening. And it got to this point, right? So back in August of last year, they said, we're having a problem. They had us, they, they did some kind of series of workshops about culture of change and trying to boost morale and get everybody to play nice in the sandbox. And there were all these supposedly great ideas and then nothing happened. So fast forward another year, we're in August, literally we're in August again, and we are, we've had a change in management. Actually, the manager just went away and we had no manager for six months. That manager was the blame for a lot of the disgruntled workers and the people that weren't happy. But now he's been gone for six months, right? And he's in, and we're in this meeting and rehab director is saying, hey guys, we have been having a steady decline in productivity. Can you help me figure out what's going on? And all of the usual suspects came up. We don't have enough walkers. We don't have enough support. We don't have enough staff, whatever the case is. And I thought to myself, if things have steadily declined over the last three years and over the last 12 months, it has gone down faster 
and we don't have this manager here, something's wrong. And so I decided to raise my hand and tell him that your people are tired and they can't produce, they cannot give you what they don't have. And I'm happy to spearhead a project for you on that. And that really, Emma, was the beginning of the burnout resilience program that I created for that, that facility. That's it. Uh, there are so many points in that story where I'm like, oh my goodness, I feel you. The walker situation, I was acute care therapist before my most recent job. And I don't know why they cannot solve the fact that everyone needs a walker. Walkers cost like $20. You're hiring more administrators, but we can't get a walker for everyone on my unit. Oh my gosh. But <laughs> that's just a little side frustration. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> mean to bring them you know <laughs> pick that scab for you but I think really what your story highlights though is the fact that we're as healthcare professionals whether you're a PT or OT or speech therapist or whatever professional you are you know these productivity demands are getting higher and higher and higher and we're trying to voice this voice our feelings, voice our frustrations, and they're just going on deaf ears. And I've heard so many people say the same thing where they're trying to advocate for themselves, but then nothing's happening. So how did you break through that, Tavon? And how did you, with this story, um, get change to happen? I think it's a few things. One, um, we had a whole year, right, of them going through some kind of workshop, nothing working, a whole lot of, and so it's one of those things where you give them enough rope to hang themselves almost. So I knew that after a year had passed, we had a serious problem. And one of the things that I did was I said, not only just, cause I, I find this happens a lot to people who uh, complain to me that the manager doesn't listen to my ideas. It's falling on deaf ear, deaf ears and things like that. And so one of the things that how I went into the situation, and if you listen to any of my Facebook lives, I, I talk about the power perspective and your mindset and the perspective in which you go into any conversation or situation. And I knew that he had a problem that I knew how to solve, that he didn't know how to solve because if he did, he would have solved it in the last 12 months. And so that's the power perspective to me versus I'm just a PT. They don't listen to me. And when I go, when, when a person has that perspective or that mindset, they go in feeling defeated. And when they feel defeated before they even start, you get a dip, you show up to the conversation differently. Mm -hmm. You don't follow up. You don't do a lot of the things that I'll share with you in just a second. And then the result is they don't listen to you. And so when I teach rehab professionals about the power perspective, I think that's what starts everything. When you go into the conversation or the situation, you need to understand how you're thinking about that situation so that you can go in from a place of power instead of powerlessness. Mm -hmm. And so that was the first thing that I did, understanding that I did have power in this situation. The second thing that I did was that when I went into conversation with him, I first asked him, what are your goals? What does success look like for you? What are you looking for as a result of this particular solution that I'll be bringing to you? Because I hadn't done anything yet. This was just a fact finding or a discovery session to find out what are we trying to achieve here, right? Mm -hmm. And so some of us, I think we come into the situation where 
we know that there's a problem and we just want to talk about we just want to talk about our problems and how we see it and we don't take the time to really listen to how the other person sees it the one that actually has the power to help us move the ball forward right um and so then we we have this clash at times because we didn't take the time to understand what was important to them. And so we that then we could communicate in a way that they could hear us. The third thing that I did was after that discovery session, I made another appointment with him to sit down and discuss the proposal, the written proposal that I had to solve this problem. It was a six page proposal on the burnout resilience program. After that meeting, once he saw all of the elements of the proposal, what I wanted to do, what the objectives were based on what he told me, right? Then I made another appointment to meet with him. And I think that's where, so now we're already at three appointments and I'm making another one. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where a lot of us fall down in our ideas because they say, oh, well, I tried. Well, how many times did you try? Well, I tried once or I tried twice. Was it, in, was it in written format? Did you follow up with an email? You know, that kind of thing. Because one thing that I think that some of us don't realize and haven't been in management, some of us don't realize that these managers are responsible for a ton of people and they're putting out fires from day to day. So sometimes it's not that they don't hear you, that they're not listening, but they, they're putting out the immediate fire and they may have forgotten. So I'm going to make an appointment to an appointment to an appointment until we come to some consensus of yes or a hard no, right? So after that, <clears throat> I went to, we after the proposal, I had another appointment with him to see did he have any questions? And at which point he did have questions mm -hmm. because if, are you familiar with the DISC personalities, Emma? I am. I am not like, I can't quote it, but yeah, I'm familiar. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So for your listeners and watchers and viewers, um, the disc personalities, I love these cause it's very simple and it's so funny because it's something that they had us do. So I knew what everybody in the department's personality type was. And just to briefly break it down, um, I don't know what they stand for, but one of them is a very dominant personality. If you can tell anything about me, I'm that, <laughs> that personality, the D, um, give me the facts, give me the figures, you know, what time is it already? Let's go. Like, I hate meetings. Um, then the next, the I personality is a very, let's fun, let's get together, let's lovey-dovey kind of thing. That, uh, yeah, S, the S personality is a very steadfast kind of person. They don't like to ruffle any feathers, very steady. You want them to be a mediator because they'll be in the middle. And then the C personality is a very conscientious type person. They want to know every detail. They need a lot of time to make decisions. And so when you understand the personality of type, personality type of the person that you're dealing with, you have a, a way to not make things personal because I knew that he was the conscientious type. He needed a lot of time. He needed facts. He needed figures. He needed a lot of detail. So when I had to keep making meetings and he still had more questions, I didn't take it personally. It was just like, okay, well, he just doesn't have any, he just doesn't have enough information. And so I went back and that was the last thing that I did. I went back with white papers and research for him. Like, okay, this is how it will affect your bottom line, or this is how it'll, it will affect those things that are important to you. And so that's essentially what I did. And it was about six meetings and five weeks later. 
Wow. Well, I think there's several things that stand out to me just sort of um, uh, digesting everything is that you you came in with a solution. They always talk about that with if you're going to get hired and you really want to get that job, you approach it and you look at their website and see what are they missing. And you give them as if you are the solution to what they're missing. This is the same exact thing. You know, don't just gripe, gripe, gripe have a solution. Um, and so that, that really, I think stands out. And the fact that you had like an organized presented solution too, because managers are, like we said, they're overextended. Everyone's overextended. It's healthcare. Mm -hmm. And so giving them time to digest what you're saying and like actually sort of visualize your change. And then you're even meeting them halfway because you're saying, this is how you're going to benefit. And this is how your therapists are going to benefit. So I, I see that as, as wonderful from, from so many, from so many points. And for those listening, you know, Tavana is definitely a great resource, but think about, you know, what solutions can, can you approach to your company that you're working with? And can you give that in a professional and calm and, uh, you know, manner so that they are hearing you and not just hearing like, bah, 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 you know, <laughs> so I think that's great. Um, can you give us any sort of specific, any other specific strategies that you talk about in the burnout resilience course? In terms of what, cause there are a lot of things that go into burnout. Um, you know, well, you highlighted how you can approach your company or the facility that someone's working at if they're feeling burnt out and how they can start to make a change. But what if they don't even know where to start with that change? Like you knew the solutions. They don't, you know, as a therapist, I may not know the solutions to my burnout and my facility's burnout. Where do I start? How do I, how do I figure that out? Well, there are a couple of things that you can do. There is the gold standard for just assessing where you are in terms of burnout, which is the Maslock burnout inventory. And I'm sure you'll put that in the notes, but that's one thing there. What we actually use is the Oldenburg burnout inventory because the Maslock has a, has a cost to it, whereas the Oldenburg does not. Um, both of them are reliable and valid, but the absolute gold standard is Maslock. So I think the very first thing is to understand to assess where you are on the burnout scale so that's like burnout a series of questions where it's like are you happy with this are you sad with this and, and so yeah. forth okay uh, yeah absolutely it's like a 20 I think it's 20 questions and so from there once you know what your score is let's back up for a second because um, I don't know if you have been talking about that I know you've been talking about burnout in terms of how it relates to student debt and that being a Stressor, and we know that stress over time leads to burnout, right? Mm -hmm. But the three dimensions of historically of burnout include emotional exhaustion, uh, depersonalization or cynicism, and then personal accomplishment. And so some of the things that I'm noticing from that is what causes burnout in a lot of the therapists that I work with are they're not taking care of themselves physically and emotionally and they're not moving up the, the career ladder for themselves. And so yeah. I'll explain. With the, the, the physical and emotional exhaustion, that just comes from not doing the things that we know helps movement. Um, not sleeping well, not eating well, not getting uh, enough water, not 
um, not breathing deeply enough and getting the oxygen to our brains. So those are some really simple and basic things that we can do to give ourselves boosts of energy when it comes to the physical side of things. When it comes to the emotional side of things, I will forever hammer the power perspective because I think a lot of the times we are emotionally drained and emotionally exhausted because we come into work feeling defeated. And a number of people that I coach are talking about, well, I already know what I'm facing when I come to work. Mm -hmm. And I would like to challenge that. Is that really true? Because if you've ever worked in a hospital, every single day to every hour can be different. So when you choose to think that I already know what I'm facing versus what surprises are we going to have today, you can just see the difference in energy behind those two statements. Then when it comes to personal, uh, personal accomplishment, the two biggest things that I see happening with most of the therapists who are burning out or like I say, uh, bored or feeling like it's monotony, two things are happening when it comes to personal accomplishment in their own goals. Either they have no goals and they're just on what I call the career treadmill and they just get up, go to work, come home, get up, go to work, come home, get up, go to work, come home. And it's like, for what? To pay bills, to pay debt? That's not exciting. And Mm -hmm. so, of course, I'm exhausted. Um, And then the other thing is, Either they don't have goals or they have goals and they're not working towards them. And that's quite a shame too, because I see that a lot as well, especially in my newer, newer grads. They're like, "Mm, I'm an adult acute care. I think I might want to go into the NICU. And so I'm asking like, so are we shadowing anybody? Did we pick up PRN at the, you know, at CHOA? Like, what are we doing? And they're not doing anything. And so I think that's a a huge deterrent. And I think that also would help with your audience too, when it comes to paying off debt. you know, when you're stuck on that career treadmill, you're just going to work to pay off debt or going to work to pay off bills. I think really having a goal and a solid plan to know, okay, I'm going to work to, to do this, or I'm picking up this extra PRN or whatever it is, I'm building this side business so that in X number of months or years, I will be completely debt-free and I have this stacked in the bank or whatever. And I'll tell you, Emma, that that happened with me. Like at one point in time from a series of business ventures, I was $60,000 in debt, six zero k in debt. And I paid it off in one year. But it was because I had a plan and I knew what I was doing. So, yeah, my tongue was hanging out at the end of the day, but I was just like, five more months. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to grind it out, right? But yeah, I, I, I agree with you. You know, I speak so much uh, to that same point with finances, how if you're just paying the minimum and you're confused and, and not really understanding and making a plan, you're going to feel unsure of yourself. You're going to feel frustrated. You're going to feel lost. And it's the same way for burnout. It's the same way for career growth. You have to go into this with a mentality of like, this is for X. Like even when I save money, I like, like say I save like $5 on something. I'm like, yes, that equals one more DVD I can rent or one more pad thai dish I can eat. And so mm. when you start like looking at things like that. Uh, yes, those are the highlights of my life. Um, you know, you can, you get, you get excited about these little things. And I think that's the big picture is to have concrete goals and be working towards those goals, but also to find 
little accomplishments and, and seek happiness and find happiness with them. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) One of the biggest things that, that I have clients do that are, because this is, this is a lot, right? If, if you were to go and do all of the things that I mentioned to have more physical energy and really try to, to grasp the power perspective and then take on some, let's take on the Walker issue at this hospital, like that's a lot. And yeah. so what is a quick win that people can, can use to feel better today? right? Yes. One of the things that I give people is the, the gratitude exercise. Because I think a lot of the times we have lost track of how, how blessed we are and how much we actually have. And we have lost track of why we really came into the profession in the first place. Yeah. And so that would be one of the things that I would recommend for anyone that's listening to us that is having just struggling every day to get out of the bed, not just on Sundays, but by Wednesday, you're like, is it Friday yet? Right. Um, at night, one of the last things that I do before I go to bed is right into my, uh, I actually call it the awesome, the book of awesome. Because after, because <laughs> some people recommend the gratitude journal, right? And it's like, oh, I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my dog. I'm thankful for my kids or whatever it is that you're thankful for. But the whole point is to every day recognize the abundance and recognize the blessings. So after a while, like you can't be thankful. I mean, you can be every day thankful for your kids, but it becomes a little monotonous, right? Mm-hmm. So what I started doing was the book of awesome. So it means what was awesome that happened that day? What made me smile? What made me laugh? What am I thankful for that day? Just like, what's awesome? And it could be, why are you awesome? You can write that down. What what awesome thing happened? Like your patient got off the vent and walked the first time or your patient walked with a vent, high five, your patient Mm -hmm. walked, whatever it is, you got to see that. And so it's remembering those little things. So sometimes I'm writing things about patients. Sometimes it's like, I'm so glad my friend called me or I called my friend. I haven't talked to them in a long time. Um, Sometimes it's like, I'm so thankful for my house and where I live that I can walk to Whole Foods. You know, it's, it's those kinds of things. And literally the research is showing that if you write these three things down every day for 30 days, that even if you stop, those um, elevated spirits will carry on for weeks and weeks after. So it's not like something that you have to do every day, but you know, hey, we work every day or almost every day. So why not? I love that. I I agree so much with that. I mean, we have to look at, I mean, we're working with incredibly ill people with multiple different medical comorbidities and look at us. And so that's, that's often what I do at work is I'm just like, these guys are amazing that I work with the patients that they're so amazing. And I'm, I have the luxury to be able to help them do amazing things and get back to their life. And so for me, that is so so rewarding and I can lose my way and I can forget how rewarding that is and how amazing that is to be able to see this progress. But with that journal, you wouldn't lose your way. You would be able to constantly sort of return back home and realize how lucky we are and how fortunate and and seek solace in in the victories that we have and and how great we have it right now. Mm -hmm. And it's good to look back at at it too, because sometimes I'm just thankful for something that happened in that moment, in that day, as opposed to a general 
thankful attitude. And it's like, man, that was awesome. I forgot about that. And then you get to relive the experience. And so it's, it's just really, really awesome awesome. And there was one thing that you said, Emma, in that where during the day we can kind of lose our way and forget some of this. And one practice that I've started doing, if anybody has, well, uh, I'm sure it's on Android too, but an app called Calm, C-A-L-M, Calm. And I love this app so much because I don't do any of the meditations on there. I just use the breathe bubble. And there's a breathing bubble on there that expands and contracts. You can have your eyes open and watch it so that you breathe in tandem with it. Or you can have your eyes closed because it makes a sound so you can tell when you're supposed to inhale, hold, and exhale. And one of the studies that I read found that if you breathe in a rhythmic pattern for two minutes, 120 seconds, that your EEG and your EKG waves will line up and it will cause you to calm down. And so I just set a timer for two minutes, do my breathe bubble, and then I just feel better. And so that's for anybody, if the coworker's getting on your nerves, <laughs> you, you had this trying patient or family member, or the doctor got on your nerves, or whomever, it's just two minutes. If you can, I think we all can find two minutes. Sometimes it is very hard to get to the bathroom, but if you can find two minutes to just whip out your app and breathe. And I think I like that sometimes over to meditation because we do know that mindfulness and meditation does help with stress and burnout and things like that. But with therapists, and I don't know about y'all, but I just left a conference and it was so hard to sit, Mm -hmm. so hard. And so if I just got to sit still on my pillow, which I do do in the mornings, um, it's challenging, but with the breathe bubble, I have something that I'm concentrating on and I have something that I'm trying to do. So that, that could be a helpful tip for everyone. I like that tip. That's a, that's a great tip. And that's something that you can do really subtly, um, you know, at work or, or wherever, whenever you think about it, whenever you feel anxiety or feel, you know, burnout, you can, you can do that. I like that great tip. Um, you know, one question that I have that's burning in my mind is, is, you know, you talked about having colleagues that after 10 years felt burnout after 15 years felt burnout, but as a newer graduate, I'm, I've been out for about five years now, but I'm seeing therapists one year out, six months out, two years out, feeling the burnout. What's, why do you think that is? And what are, what are some solutions you may have to that, if, if you have any? Yeah, that's super scary. That is super scary to think about. And when I started this work, it really was for my, my colleagues, the ones that were out 10, 15 years, and we're like, crap, we're not even 40 years old. And I can't see myself doing this for 20, 25 more years. Like I really started it for them. But the more I got into it, the more I was finding exactly what you're saying, Emma, that people two years out burned out. And I first want to say to everyone that is in that situation, it's feeling burned out. There is no shame in that. Okay, because I'm noticing there's a lot of shame and a lot of career regret and people it's I think it's not that it's shameful, but you nobody has taught us how to deal properly with stress. It's not a class that we're taught, just like nobody tells us how to pay bills, pay off debt. It's not something that we're taught. So first, if you are in a situation and you're feeling some shame, I want you to if you can to let that sh- let the judgment go about it because it is what it is, right? And sometimes just knowing that helps people to feel better. 
what is causing the stress? I think there are a couple of things. One thing that I did mention before is when you have a goal, when you have a vision of where you want your life and your career to be and you're not actively moving towards it, it will lead to burnout. So a lot of times people get into these jobs and they're one or two years in and they're still they're they're struggling trying to figure this out. And they and I've had a couple of clients early three or four years in the profession. They took a job because that's all they could get at the time or it paid more. And that's not really where they wanted to be. And so if that's the situation, you really want to assess that. You know, am am I where I want to be mm-hmm. and make sure that that lines up? The, with the setting, with the organization, you are never stuck. You do not have to stay in a place you don't want to be. But also ask yourself why if you're considering a change. Why do I want to leave? Because sometimes the grass is not greener on the other side and you need to learn how to manage your mind where you are. So there's that part. Um, the other thing that I've noticed with the newer ones, because I'm old school, I've been, <laughs> even though I'm not old, I'm old school, right? So I've, I have a bachelor's and I've been doing this for 17 years. And, um, I think that unfortunately is one of the failings of our profession that we jumped to the DPT, right? And with it, we increased the amount of debt that people had to um, to take on in order to get that degree. But with it didn't come the level of autonomy that people thought they would get. And so one of the things in the programs that that I would love to see going forward is teaching people how to have their own. So it's one thing, obviously, if you know that you're an inpatient therapist, acute care therapist, you're going to you're not going to open a hospital or a nursing home to have your own thing. But for the, the vast majority of PTs or orthopedic outpatient or neuro outpatient or women's health outpatient, they're outpatient. Right. At least in the programs that I have reviewed lately, I'm not seeing a whole lot on entrepreneurship and how to run a business. And the last time I checked, I have a few friends who are chiropractors and they just have a different mentality when they go to school. They don't come out thinking I'm going to work for somebody or how much will they pay me? No, they come out thinking, okay, I got to figure out how to run this business. So it's a total different mentality there. And I don't think that our education has caught up in that way. So we're, I think that's the, the expectation that the newer grads are coming out with is not matching up with what is actually happening. And that's a huge source of burnout amongst people. And so what's the solution to that then, right? One is always, can, how can I think about this situation in a way that serves me or in a way that makes me feel better rather than makes me suffer? That's what I'm always going to go to first because I can feel better no matter what's happening around me. And then the second thing is what problem can I solve? You said it before, Emma, like, okay, I have this problem. I need more money. I need more time. I need more autonomy. That's a problem. Okay. How do I solve this? If it's not where I am now, then maybe I need to create my own thing. Yeah. I, I agree. I agree with so many things that you just said there. Um, you know, to share a little bit of like my my backstory, because you said, you know, so many new graduates or recent graduates are feeling burnt out, but yet like not really wanting to acknowledge it or like judge themselves were while like when I chose to become a physical therapist, I really didn't fully appreciate 
the risk that I was taking in terms of cost to actual income. And I think that that's a lot of where this is coming from. These newer therapists, they're not fully understanding the economic consequences of graduating with so much loans and how it feels that pressure. And so when I graduated, I judged myself so hardly on that poor decision-making, which isn't really my fault. Like I just didn't understand it. I didn't do as much calculations. I looked at it from the fact that this is a stable career route versus looking at the cost ratio. And I looked at it from the fact that I wanted to truly help people more individually and, and have that personal relationship. I could have been a doctor, but I, I sincerely chose not to because I love the interpersonal relationship. And so it took me a long time to, like what you were saying, to not judge yourself and to not feel like you're a failure for making this choice. You know, I acknowledge my decision. I acknowledge that and I've moved past it and I created, you know, a goal and a mindset so that I could free myself from, from what I was feeling. And so I think there's so many of us out there feeling what Tavana is describing. I'm definitely in that same situation. And um, it's still a day-to-day process to, to get over over that feeling. But I think what you're doing is wonderful, Tavana. And uh, I, I just say, keep doing it and keep sharing everything that you're sharing because it's helping. It's helping. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I think you said something really important there that I, I just want to address for a minute because I think people go into this and because we want to help. But I don't think that being a helper or a healer has to be separate from making money and making yeah. a lot of it if we want to. I just don't think that that's the case. Um, and so I go back to the solution. Like, how can I help people? How can I have the interpersonal relationship and, right? So yes, and, as opposed to or, Yeah, I think. I think that is so, so important for us to start thinking about. And I really think we got to get out of this mindset of, in, in terms of the yes and, right? So if I'm not getting everything that I want from my organization that I work for, who's to say that I can't take some of those extra hours and create something on the side for mm-hmm. myself? No one says that you have to quit, quit your job and go 100% entrepreneur. I do both. I do part-time in the hospitals because I do actually still love treating clients. And I actually love treating clients more because I don't do it all the time. Mm-hmm. And because when I'm not there, I use my brain in a very different way in a coaching situation than I do treating clients. So treating patients. So I, I think those are some things to consider. No, I think that's so funny. When I started to become a bit of an entrepreneur, I still work full time, but but just having this outlook, it 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 sort of it helped with the burnout because I was able to think about something differently instead of coming home and being like, uh, "Patient X did this today." I was like, "Ooh, I'm gonna! I got this article I want to write," and so exactly. it was like my my mind became positive instead of negative, and it was like. I'm, this is something I own. I'm growing something that's really me. Um, so mm. I think entrepreneurism is a great, great route or even just a different career route. Like for me, taking the risk and doing other career routes like contract or traveling, that helped free me from burnout too because it was just 
different variety. I got to go to acute and then I got to go to subacute and acute rehab. And I was using my brain differently for each of those settings and I was meeting new people. And so it doesn't just have to be one thing. It's, it's what is your passion? What do you want to do? Is it, is it that you want to do a different career route altogether? Is it that you just want to have more variety and say, do traveling, or is it that you want to become an entrepreneur like Tavana and, and, you know, and that doesn't even have to be full-time too. You can do that on the side and grow it. And if it becomes a full-time, then woohoo, work from home. But if not, it's okay. So I definitely, and I agree too with what you were saying about schools, teaching more entrepreneurism. I wish they also taught more career growth too. You know, it doesn't have to be only starting your own practice. I feel like I had one class I remember, and it was the only PT business class we had, but it was starting our own practice. But there are so many other avenues. You know, there's health coaching, there's telept, there's um, per diem, there's even just understanding how all the settings work and how you can grow within the setting. Like if you don't want to be, you know, out on your own, how can you move up the ranks within the setting that you truly love and all that sort of lacking? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yes. 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 And yes to all of it. <laughs> yeah. So many things in there. But I, I would say one of the things that that I'm looking to do some research on here is the career growth and levels. So yeah. I'm doing a Facebook Live in a couple of weeks on non-clinical skills every PT should have because I think it's so important. All of that stuff that I talked about, how I got the burnout resilience program, like I had to go and figure out how to write a proposal. I know I can talk and I can sell stuff, but I, that was a skill that I had to learn too. I had to learn sales. I had to learn negotiation. I learned marketing because once you implement the program, so he approved it, then I have to sell the program or market the program to the rest of the staff, right? So there in the program is one of the things that I teach is getting to yes, how to sell your ideas to colleagues, patients, management, whatever. And then you have to market. So sometimes I say, I wrote a book some years ago and it was hard. It was super hard, but the work wasn't over when the book was finished. Then I have to market the book because if I don't market the book or sell the book, then nobody gets access to the information therein. So it's, it's so many things there, but going back to the things I, I agree hundred percent about the teaching career growth, um, and the different tracks, like we need to understand our options. Yeah. We need to understand that there are multiple things that we can do. And we need to understand it just because it says that this job is for RN that we should apply anyway, if we feel qualified point blank and period, because what's the worst they could say is no. And if you're trying to get out of uh, being patient facing or clinical, you need to update your resume anyway. And you need practice in filling out these applications. That's how we get better. So I say that's my um, my unbridled tip for today. Apply anyway. Right. And then the last thing about that would to, to reference what you were talking about is the levels. I think there is something interesting that happens that you talked about in the with regard to staving off burnout. I did the same thing that you did. I started out in orthopedic outpatient. Then I went into management there. Then I went into SAR, LTAC, and acute as a contractor and a PRN. So each time, so if you think about the levels of experience, when you first start in your career, you know, Jack, 
I mean, we passed the test. So yeah, we do know something, but it's totally different. You got to figure out this whole go to work every day. You got to figure out the paperwork, wherever you are. It's like a lot. So we're being stimulated all the time. And so, yeah, there can be some stress and there can be some burnout there, but it's so much that's challenging you and you're growing and everything is new. And then you get about a year or two in and then it's kind of like, okay, take the training wheels off. I think I got this and, and I can get through my day. Not too bad, but I might still have several patients that I don't know what's going on with Mrs. Jones. So maybe I need to look this up or something. And then when you get to the point of proficiency, then it's like, "Ah, I can do something for every person that comes in through the door. And I think that's around the five to really going to the seven year mark is where I think we find ourselves somewhat in boredom when we come Mm -hmm. become very proficient as a clinician and we don't grow in other ways, which is why I was talking about doing the non-clinical skills and we don't start using our brains in other ways. And so I think you and I were able to stave off the burnout a lot by changing settings, but some people are very afraid to do that. I mean, it can be scary to change, but it's also very rewarding. And I think it makes you an even better clinician. Oh, 100%. I mean, that's why you do your mentorship with entrepreneurism and with burnout. And that's why I try to do as much mentorship as possible for student loans and traveling because, you know, these careers and these various facets can help you in so many ways. And a lot of people are afraid to take that leap. So just know for the audience listening that there are, there are a lot of people that are supporting you and want you to succeed and we're here to help. Um, Tavana, I feel like I could talk for forever about this because there's so many things to talk about burnout and the associated, just everything. But what is one last thing that you want to share uh, with listeners? The, the biggest thing that I want to share with people is that you can take your control back in a number of ways and that there is hope for those that are feeling burned out and stressed out and that there is help. So you don't have to suffer in silence. There are a number of people willing to help you and you just have to find the right coach or the right mentor because sometimes the, the stories that we're telling ourselves, someone can just reach in and give you a slightly different perspective or a slightly different tip and it can make all the difference. So that's what I would leave with everyone. I like that. Now, where can people reach you? Where can they get these awesome Facebook lives? And if they want to take your course, I don't know if that's an option. Um, just share, share the goodies that you have. <laughs> All the goodies. Okay. Well, I'm everywhere online at Tavana Denise. So if you just go to Facebook and find me at Tavana Denise on Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard, that's when I go live. For now, we're doing this burnout, um, real talk for PTs on burnout. So we're doing a series. And this week, we're talking about how to get your energy up. So I gave you some of the tips, but I'll give you even more tomorrow. (laughs) And um, where else? Oh, bit.ly.com forward slash end PT burnout. So if you go to bit.ly.com forward slash end PT burnout and you just you just want to talk to me, that's where you can get on my calendar. We can talk about it and what's next for you. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you so much for being here, Tavana. And I look forward to seeing all the amazing things that you're doing with um, Burnout. I really appreciate all your efforts. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And same to you, Emma. Thank you. you.
Thank you for listening to the Therapist on Fire podcast. You can get the show notes to every episode as well as any freebies or bonuses mentioned by visiting debtfreept.com slash podcast. Debt Free PT provides amazing free mentorship programs and resources on travel therapy, debt management, and alternative careers. At debtfreept.com, you can also find many discounts and bonus rewards. Check it out today.